How have you always imagined the birth story of Jesus? Do you have a nativity set? What does it look like? Join me for the Prepare Him Room virtual event to experience the Christmas story like never before. As we dive into the historical and cultural context of Christmas, we'll be invited to intentionally make space to seek Jesus amid the holiday rush. And in the end, we'll discover that the Christmas story is better than we've ever known. Join us as we celebrate the birth of our Savior and embrace the true meaning of Christmas. I'm excited to see what your nativity might look like after our time together. Prepare him room this season. Your heart will never be the same. That was for the women's event that is coming up. Oh, yeah, at the end. Sorry, I should have told you that. Just assume you read my mind, Sherry. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> we, we think that you guys have the ability to read minds, you ladies. You usually do. Um, Sherry is going to come and speak on that just a little bit at the, at the end about the women's event that we have coming up this uh, the, a week from today, December 3rd at 5 p.m. So um, that's what that video was about, and then she'll speak about that here in just a minute. And I'm sorry for the confusion, Sherry. That was my fault. Uh, so we're in week one of Advent. And we'll look at several things during this season. We'll have week one, two, three, four, and then we'll finish on Christmas Eve, on Sunday night, Christmas Eve. So this year we're looking at, we try to have a theme every year, but it doesn't always work out that way, but some, sometimes it just comes to you. And this is one of those ones that we were at the Right Now conference a month ago, and it was one of those where it was just like zap, and I knew exactly what we were supposed to talk about in about five seconds. That's fun when that happens, isn't it, Dusty? It's not always that way. Sometimes it's a grind, but... It's one of those times where the Lord just said, here you go. And so I'm thankful for that. So this is what we're going to look at for these next four weeks and then the fifth week of Christmas Eve. Jesus Christ, the son. And today is the son of Mary and Joseph. And then next week will be the son of Abraham, then the son of David, then the son of man on week four. And then on Christmas Eve, we will look at Jesus Christ, the son of God. Um, so we're looking forward to digging into all of that, and again, this is Advent, the coming, the season of the coming, the preparation for Jesus, celebrating Jesus' birth, um, because without his birth, we could not have had his death and resurrection, so we're thankful for that this morning. I'm going to do something a little different today. We don't always do this. We hardly ever do it anymore, honestly, but there's nothing wrong with it, um, but if you would stand with me this morning as we read these verses in honor and reverence of God's holy, infallible word, sure would appreciate that. So here we go. Just going to read a few verses. This is, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 2. Every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Please join me in prayer. Father God, I come to you today and I ask that you would speak to me and through me, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit, as we pray every Sunday morning at 930, would manifest its presence here with us today, Father. Manifest your presence here today with us so that we, we, we know that you are here, that it is undeniable that you have worked uh, in us today, Lord, and that we can go out of these walls and we can live for you as we move forward, Father. And we thank you for all these things, and we thank you most especially for salvation, Lord, and the hope that comes from knowing you as Lord and Savior. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Please have a seat. So we'll be in Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> should have already told you that, but I, I skipped that this morning. Luke chapter 2, and we'll be going through these verses, um, 41, starting in 41, and we'll go through several verses uh, here as we get through this. So this is where we're starting here, and it says, Every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Every year his parents, his being Jesus, that's why the H is capitalized, traveled to the Passover festival. Jesus was 12 years old, so by this point in time, he had been to many Passover festivals uh, as, as an infant, as, as a toddler, and now as an almost teenager. But this year's a little different because he is 12, and that's something that you don't want to gloss over, or you, and you may have. You may not have understood this, but in Jewish terms, this is the last year of Jesus' childhood. His next year would have been his bar mitzvah, and he would have been considered an adult culturally at 13 years old uh, in the Jewish tradition. That's what that, what's that, that's what that means, kind of like quinceañeras and sweet 16s and things like that. It's, that's, that it, it was 13 for a uh, young boy in the Jewish culture. So he's, he would have been considered responsible for his actions, responsible for his decisions and things like that from 13 on. But at 12, he's still a child. He's still very much subject to his parents' authority. But this year, he's not 13. He's still a child. He's 12. A child to his parents. His parents, Mary and Joseph. Now, Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. If you know the story, you know that. And we'll, we'll get into the, the birth story as we go through the Advent season. But Joseph is not his biological father. But as any good adoptive or step parent knows, Jesus was as much Joseph's son as he, as if he had had him biologically. Many of us know what that feels like to have, to either have had that love expressed to us or to express that love to someone else. This is Joseph's son to him just as if he were his own biological son. Then there shouldn't be any difference, just food for thought. There shouldn't be any difference between adoptive children, biological children, stepchildren, foster children. They should all be loved the same. And with Joseph, there's not, there's never any indication in any Thing that we have in the record that Jesus was treated any differently than any of his other siblings, which is a pretty neat thing to not, you don't want to miss that. And then we get this peculiar verse, this peculiar verse in verse 43, it says, after those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. I like to call this verse the inspiration for John Hughes' movie, Home Alone. That's what, that's what it reminds me of every, every year when you, you know, if you're going through an Advent Devo or, you know, you just, you read through some of this stuff and it's like, what, what were they thinking? I mean, you talk about an all-time parent fail. They left their son, who happens to be the son of God, behind in Jerusalem by himself. How in the world is that possible? I don't know if you've ever read that and not stopped and thought about it, but as you were reading through it without thinking about it, you thought, you just gloss over that fact every year and you think, what in the world? How did that happen? It's hard to, it's hard to fathom. Well, let's go through these verses and maybe we can get something out of that. If you continue in verse 44, Luke chapter 2, assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Now remember, they live in Nazareth. 
in, in the region of Galilee, which is north of Israel. And it's quite the trek to get down from where they live in the northern part of Israel, in Galilee, where the, where the nobodies live, to come all the way down to Jerusalem. So it's not an easy trip to make. And so they assume that he's with them. The, the parents of the Son of God, the parents of this young boy, assume he's in the traveling party. I, I read that word and I go, assume? You assume your children, your child is with you? You assume that? Anybody here ever been left behind? I got left at church one time. Anybody here ever been left at church? It happens, don't it? That's a bad feeling. That's a bad feeling when you're a kid, and that's a really bad feeling when you're a parent. They went a whole day. Did you catch that? They went a whole day. I read that, and I think, without the rest of the information, what was God thinking, leaving the upbringing and safety of his son to the likes of these two? Then we get a little more info. It says they start looking for him in the people group that they're with. So it's like, okay, all right. So it's not just Mary and Joseph and the kids hopping along back to Jerusalem without anyone else around them and no one noticing that one of the kids is missing. It's not just them leaving Jerusalem, going back to Galilee. In fact, traditionally, for these trips to Jerusalem, for, these, for, these, uh, for the festivals, the, the towns, the communities, the villages would all travel together in a big group. Obviously, they would do that mostly for safety's sake. So it's a large group that's, tra that's traveling together. Uh, some, English, some English translations say a caravan. Uh, the King James says a company. Like a, like, a, like a company as in uh, military terms, right? A big group of people. And so there's a large group of people traveling together. And often in these times, traditionally we know, the men would kind of gather together as they were traveling and the women would kind of gather together as they travel because, you know, that's who you'd rather talk to most of the time. And they're traveling back. And so you've kind of got a separate group of men and kind of a separate group of women, most likely. This is not in the scriptures. This is what tradition tells us. Um, and so there's a large party of people, men and women, mostly separated. Okay, so picture it with me. It's not, it's not hard to see when you slow down and picture it. Mary, traveling mostly with the women, assumes Jesus is with Joseph. And Joseph, traveling mostly with men, assumes Jesus is with Mary. Big, large traveling group, kids running around being kids, playing with the animals, chunking rocks and whatnot. No telling what the kids were doing. And I'm sure some of you are still thinking, how, I get what you're saying, Daniel, but how could they not know Jesus was with them? Here's one very important thing to keep in mind in this scenario. A reason that Mary and Joseph assumed Jesus was with them when they all loaded up and got ready to leave is because Jesus was like Jesus. You ever stopped and thought about that? I mean, think about it. The kid had never, and I mean never, disobeyed them. He had, he had never not been where he was supposed to be. He, he had always done what was right. He had always listened to them. He had always respected them. He honored his mother and father. And we know that he did because we know that he didn't sin. So he honored his mother and father. So he, 
he, he's, he's, Jesus was with the caravan. And so, of course, his mother and father assume when the traveling party all gets ready to go and it's time to go. I mean, let's make sure James, the brother, like Joseph probably made sure James came. They probably made this, sure the sisters came. They probably all, but Jesus, that's a slam dunk. Of course, Jesus is going to be with us. We're good. He's with us. But he wasn't. He, was, he wasn't with the friends. He wasn't with the family. They go searching. He wasn't with them at all. Now, Passover, it says they went to Jerusalem for Passover. Passover itself is a one-day celebration, and it's immediately followed by the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. So this is a huge celebration that takes place in Jerusalem. So they've traveled for days and then spent eight days in Jerusalem having a good time, enjoying themselves. Uh, and this whole thing is usually referred to as Passover as one celebration, but it's actually two in one. It's, a, it's a, a little over a week-long celebration. It's a big deal. A lot of people in the area came to Jerusalem every year for this and for many other festivals. Imagine. Imagine the hustle and bustle. Imagine sometimes even in, in a good celebration like, like Passover was. The stress and the pressure that would be alive in an event like this. Picture it. It sounds kind of like the season we're entering in now to me. This season where we run around to and fro here and there, run ourselves completely ragged for what we consider to be a good reason. But before you know it, you look up and the most important things aren't there if you're not careful. You, you, you go to store to store and store to store. You go to family event, family event. and then But you might be leaving out the most important thing. We might be leaving out time with the Lord. We might be leaving out really enjoying each other's company. I've told you before, that's why I love Thanksgiving. Because it's built in to be less hectic as a culture. Christmas can get so hectic and there's so much pressure. And some of you right now, you're, you're feeling that pressure of the Christmas season. Where am I going to go? Who am I going to spend this time with? Do I have enough money to buy all these people presents? Will they still be my friends if I don't buy them presents? <laughs> if they don't, then they weren't very good friends in the first place. So, you know, consider that what it is. It's neither here nor there. But it's what, it's what it reminds me of. That, that's what this is like for them. This is a hectic, hurried, important, but sometimes stressful, busy time. That's, that's where Mary and Joseph are as parents in this. And they look up and their son, the son that the angels announced, isn't with them. So they go back to Jerusalem to find them. Are you there yet in your mind? Are you picturing this? Here's my picture. I may be a little off because I am a little off, if y'all didn't know. But I bet I'm pretty close. As they're hustling back to Jerusalem now, how are you picturing Joseph and Mary in this situation? Do you think Mary was like, I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. For once, I'd just like you to pay attention, Joseph. And Joseph was probably all like, well, why would you think he would be with me? He's always with you, your little special angel announced guy. 
I don't know that Joseph had any had anything like that in him. I don't know. But seriously, picture Mary. She's frantic. She's afraid. She's worried. She's a mother who doesn't have one of her children with her. That's the way I picture Mary. And I picture Joseph worried about his son, of course, but also a little ticked. I bet Joseph's a little ticked. This is now a huge inconvenience for them to have to travel another day back in the wrong direction. And why didn't he just come when he was supposed to? And how much is this extra travel going to cost us? Dads know what I'm talking about. Do I have enough to get us back home now? Think of all the things. These are human beings going through human emotions and human difficulties. Again, it reminds me of this Christmas season that we come into culturally. And then we get to verse 46. After three days, they found him. Now, I got left at church one time. It may have felt like three days, but it was probably 30 minutes at the most. But it felt like three days. Three days, mom and dad. Three days it took them to find him. Three days not having their son in their presence. Three long, excruciating days before they had their son back. Now, wait a minute. Three days without Jesus. I've heard that somewhere before. Seems like that rings up. Is that ringing a bell with anybody else in here? Have we opened our Bibles once this year? Three days. Oh, yeah. Three days does come up. That is kind of a big deal, isn't it? That three-day theme is a theme for a reason. That's going to come up again later. Three days he was in the tomb. On the third day he arose. He arose. Right? Hmm. I don't know. We don't know. You've got to be careful reading into things. But... It's fun to think about the depth of what's taking place here. Is, is God preparing Mary for what is to come? Is God preparing Mary that, Mary, this isn't going to be the last time that you're without him for three days? You didn't, you didn't understand this, and you won't understand that, and you think these three days are long. The three days that are coming are a whole, going to be a whole lot longer and a whole lot more difficult. Is it coincidence that it's three days? I don't think so. I don't think there is such a thing as coincidence. I think there's a reason for it. We continue there, verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. I love this picture. A group of men... Surrounding a 12-year-old boy, being astonished by his answers. Jesus, at 12 years old, what's he doing? Is he at the playground? Is he being mischievous? Is he doing what you and I would have been doing if we would have been there? <laughs> no, he's working. He's ministering. He's learning. He's growing. He's enthralled in the work of his father. But not his father Joseph, his father God. Think about this. Picture it. All these learned scholars at the temple in Jerusalem were astounded. These are the most educated men in the nation. 
sitting around talking to Jesus. And he's asking questions and answering their questions in a way that they're just blown away. It's like Doogie, Howard, Doogie Howser for spiritual terms, for scripture. It's, 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 it's an amazing scene to be picturing. They're astounded at his understanding and at his answers. Now, how do Mary and Joseph respond to this scene? They walk up and they're like, yeah, that's our little guy. You know, <clears throat> we've been spending extra time with him at night during our devos. We're so proud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nope. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. Expleso is the root word there. Expleso, to strike with astonishment. It's like, you know, to strike with astonishment. You know what I'm talking about. When you've been so shocked that it feels like you got hit by something, they're struck with astonishment. They've been searching for this dude for three days. And they find him sitting in the temple, being taught, and more importantly, teaching the scholars of the day. They were knocked down with astonishment. He's in the temple explaining scripture to the teachers. We've been looking for him all this time. You've got to be kidding me. Is the, is the angst you get from that word. Continuing there. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Anxiously here, the word is an intense pain. It's to be tormented. They, they've been tormented by the thought that they may not have their son anymore. These human beings with their human son that they haven't been able to find for three days. They're tormented by the thought of him being gone forever. And then it continues in verse 40, 49. If I click the right slide. Why were you searching for me? <laughs> It's not meant to be funny, but it's funny to me. <laughs> I mean, do you think any time in, in, in the last 72 hours, Jesus has looked up and been like, I wonder where mom and dad are. Why, why are you searching for me? Now, I don't think it's because, I don't think it's because Jesus is, is saying this because they shouldn't be worried. I think what he's saying is, this is the first place you should have come and look. This is the first place you should have come to look. You should have known that this is where I would be. If I wasn't with you, where else would I be besides here doing the work the Father sent me to do? I think, I think that's what he means by the question. I don't know that. I think that. I think, I think the context kind of speaks to that. He says, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Now, if you were Joseph and heard him say that, what would you think? It's so hard for us to put, our, put ourselves in, in, in their shoes, in, in, in anyone in Scripture's shoes, because we have the whole story, and we're looking back, right? And we, we don't understand. It's like, of course he means his father's house. Of course he means that. You wouldn't have thought that. You're three days searching for your kid, and you finally found him. You're frantic. You don't get what he means when he says this. He's like, your father's... My house is about umpteen miles that way, dude, north of here. What are you talking about? These human beings going through human stuff, living human lives. This is not, this is not words on a page of, 
of fairy tale characters. This is not once upon a time. This is history. This is real stuff. This is real people going through real stuff, real things. Jesus says, I'm, I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry. I, I assume that you knew I would be here. He didn't, he didn't stay behind in defiance. Catch this. He didn't stay behind in defiance. He was coming to a full understanding of his purpose on earth. He's almost an adult male culturally. He's grown in his knowledge. God, the Father, has been speaking into him. And he's growing and he's fully understanding what it is. He's coming to a full understanding of his purpose on this earth to carry out a mission as the son for the Father. And then verse 50 says, but they did not understand what he said to him. Said to them. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. And you wouldn't have got it and I wouldn't have got it. But we read it superiorly now because we know what is taking place. So enjoy that place in history. You know why they didn't understand. Because you wouldn't have understood it either. It's a 12-year-old boy. They don't get it. They know he's special. Understand that. They know he's special. They know he's different. They, they know what has been revealed to them so much, so far already. But they didn't get this. This is the first time it's ever felt like Jesus wasn't listening to them, although that's not what he's doing, but it feels like that to them. Now, remember, Jesus is still a child at this point. He's not an adult. If he were 13 at this point, he might have responded differently to this situation. I don't know. But how does he respond? How would you have responded as a 12-year-old? I know how I would have. Not as the way he does. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. I love that verse. 12-year-old Jesus. He's doing the most important thing he could possibly be doing. But his parents come back and go, for the first time in this scenario, understand this. This is the first time Jesus has been asked to leave. He wasn't asked to leave earlier and, just, and defied them and, and stayed against his parents' wishes. He wasn't asked. They assumed. Remember that key word? They assumed that he knew and was coming with them. It's the first time he's been asked to leave this most important work. And as a 12-year-old child, Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, is obedient to them. The Savior of the world wasn't doing anything wrong. He was doing something good. He's kind of been publicly reprimanded for his absence by his parents in this situation. It would have been a little bit embarrassing. It would have been very easy to get defensive. He responds to his parents that he's just doing what he has to do. That, that's the way he responds. It's respectfully. It may not come off across the page like that, but he's responding respectively. And then he just leaves with them obediently. Hmm. I don't know why that strikes me so deeply, but it does. Just the heart of humility, the submission to authority. He could have said, guys, I'm like a big deal. And you're going to really realize that here in about, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 more years. I mean, like I'm a big, no, he doesn't say that. He could have, but he didn't. He was just obedient. And it says his mother, Mary, she kept all this in her heart. His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Mary stores this up in her heart like many other things. No telling how many things in Jesus' life, his early life, that took place where he, she just went, you know, file that away. I filed away here because I'm too heady. But she filed it away here. She kept these things in her heart. She may have been 
the, the, the source of information for Luke for this writing. I personally think that, and many scholars think that as well, that she was the one that shared this information with Luke, which is pretty cool to think about. And Jesus continues in his humanity to grow physically in stature and spiritually in wisdom and socially in the grace of God the Father and with people. You see, Jesus Christ, the son of Mary and Joseph, is human. Don't forget that. That's a, big, that's a big deal. I know he's the son of God. I know he is God. I know that. But don't forget that he is human. This time of year reminds us of that. His, his birth reminds us that he is a man. Excuse me. Born to human parents. Raised by human parents. Who didn't always get it right. As this story shows. They didn't always get it right. He grew up in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. I just ask you, like, who did you come in here to worship this morning? Did you forget that you came here to worship someone that understands? Did you forget that you came in here to worship someone who not only loves you, but understands what it feels like to be you? Like he's been here and he's done this. He's, he's not some distant, cold, celestial being in the sky. He, he knows what you're feeling and what you're going through because he's felt it and he's gone through it. And, and, he's, he's, not, and he's not sweet baby Jesus in the manger either. We don't pray to sweet baby Jesus. I know sometimes people say that and, and we're trying to be funny, but I really, I honestly, I don't like it when people say that. I really don't. I don't think it's funny. Most of the time we're just being cute and we're just being funny and, and I'm not bashing you or anything, but I don't, I don't like it because it gives the wrong picture. We're not praying to sweet baby Jesus. That's not who he is. He was born a babe in a stone feeding trough, a manger, yes, but he ain't in the feeding trough anymore. He ain't there anymore. He didn't stay there. He grew up from a babe to a boy to a man. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Lord God Almighty. He's the Lamb of God the Father and the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His name is faithful and true. He is the Prince of peace with God the Father because he's the Redeemer of all mankind. And he will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Look at the humanity of Christ Jesus. Think about the humanity of Christ Jesus. Think about the fact that you have a God who wanted you to know how much he loved him, how much he loves you, and wanted you to love him so much that he was willing to become a participant in this world, a world he didn't have to become a participant in, a world he didn't have to come and feel the pain of, a world he didn't have to come and feel the suffering of. He didn't have to do that, but he wanted to do that so that you would know that he loves you. Think about his humanity. Let's look at his humanity real quick. We'll look at a few places in scripture real quick. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. We've talked about this many times. He wept. He felt the pain of living in a sinful world. He felt the pain of death and sorrow. He felt the pain of loss. He felt the pain of life in a world that has the choice to choose good or evil. 
and most of the time chooses evil. He felt that. He knows what it feels like. He's not distant, grumpy old man in the sky. Luke 19, as he approached and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over darkness and over the blindness of the lost. When's the last time you wept over the lost? I wonder if, if, if every prayer was answered this morning for us. If every prayer that we prayed this morning in preparation for coming together in the house of the Lord. If every single prayer was answered, how many people would be saved today? Or do we just pray about what we needed and what we wanted? Give me a good day. Give me traveling mercies. And bless me. And bless mine. Or did the lost even cross our mind? It, it mattered to Jesus. He wept over it. Or, or look at this one. This one hits home sometimes. Did it click over? What's wrong? There we go. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about 6 in the evening. Yes, he's God. <laughs> but he knows what it feels like to be in this wretched shell. He's worn out. He's weary from his journey. He knows what that feels like. Some of you may have walked in here this morning, and you're weary, and you're worn out, and you're thinking, I don't know if I can make it to Christmas. Jesus understands He's been there too. He's felt that. He knows what that feels like. He's able to sympathize with you. Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. A man of suffering. He understands what it is to be you and me. He's not distant. He doesn't want to be distant anyway. If you feel distant to him, it's because you moved, not him. He didn't move. He won't move. Or you go to Hebrews 2.18. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. When he was what? When he was, he suffered when he was, he suffered when he was, he was given the opportunity. He just didn't take it. He is able to help those who are being tempted. He, he didn't just suffer for no reason or for his own stupidity like we do sometimes. Like I'll say, we, I, like I do sometimes. I suffer because of my own stupidity sometimes. He suffered for a reason. The reason is for the atonement for the sins of the people. Or we'll finish in, in, in as far as looking at this section in Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. We do not have a high priest. The priest is the, is the mediator, mediator between man and God. Jesus is now uh, the high priest of humanity. And we don't have a high priest who is so distant and so disconnected that he doesn't get it. He's not in an ivory tower on high and never felt what it feels like to be down. In the doldrums and kicked by life. He's felt all of that. He understands what you feel. 
And then you go on in Hebrews 4 and verse 16, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Why can we approach the throne of grace with confidence? Because we have a high priest who understands. We have a high priest who understands. All this to say this. Jesus is God the Son. He's God incarnate. He, he's God in a human body. He was, he was born to the Son, born the Son of Mary and Joseph. God as a man so that he could sympathize and empathize with and all things, with and with all things that it is to be you and me. He knows everything that it feels like to be a human being and still choose God the Father and still choose love and still choose what's right. He knows the pressure. He knows the temptation. He's been there. He's done that. He's felt that. He even took on the pain of sin because sometimes you forget that. I know you forget that. Because sometimes I forget that. Sometimes I forget that. You think, well, he was just God. He doesn't understand. No, no, no. He knows what it feels like to feel sin. Because, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. He knows what it feels like to be separated from the Father. He knows what that feels like, what the pressure and the weight and the shame of sin feels like even though he didn't sin he took your sin and he took my sin he felt that by choice even though he didn't deserve it so that we might become the righteousness of God in him it's a profound mystery church it's a profound mystery of God how he can be both man and God at the same time he is the biological son of Mary he is the legal son of Joseph and he is divine incarnate Divine and human converge together perfectly in the second person of the Godhead, Christ Jesus the Son. He knows us. He gets us. 1 Timothy 2 says, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and mankind. And that is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You do have a hope this Advent season and always. And that hope is Christ Jesus, the man who knows what it feels like to be a human being in this world. He gave himself to pay for it all. And he mediates peace between you and God the Father now and forever. That's who we come here to worship every Sunday. So you may be going through a difficult season in your life right now. And the pressure of this season may mount and build over the next few weeks to the point that you feel uh, despair, to say the least, or your, your loneliness for, for who's not here may build over these next few weeks. And, and, and this can be a difficult season. As joyous and as fun and as celebratory as this season can be, it is equally sometimes, if not more, difficult also. In those difficulties, remember this, that you have a high priest who can sympathize and empathize with you, and he is still, has been, and is still mediating peace between you, the sinner, and God the Father, the Holy One. Because of Him, you're reconciled to God forever. What a God that we're able to come and worship every week. Amen. God, we thank you for the hope that comes in with you. We thank you for the hope that we are given by faith in Christ Jesus alone. We thank you that, that you proved your love for us 
and your understanding of what it is to be in this world, God. You're, you're, you're not cold. You're good. This is your goodness displayed. Your goodness is, is displayed in Christ. Lord, I just thank you that he knows what it feels like to, to feel the pain and suffering of this world. And he can sympathize with, that, with us, God. And I, I pray that we would dig deep into the, into the peace that comes from that and the hope that comes from knowing that that's the God that we're serving, God. It's not, it's, it's not some, some Greek mythological figure. It's not some demagogue. It's not, it's, it's not anything like that, God. It is a, you, you understand deep, truly, fully what it is to be us, God. I thank you for that this morning. I thank you for the hope that that gives me, and I pray that it gives us all hope, God. And I thank you for the salvation that comes through faith in you, in your blood that was shed on the cross for all of us, God. If someone here today wants to profess that, that they have faith in you, that today is the day of salvation because they want to place their faith in you and repent from their sins and their wicked ways and turn to you forever for salvation. If that is today, God, I I pray that, that that would take place, that your spirit would would work through that and that we would all celebrate that together. Lord, be with us through this season as we get busy, Lord. Keep us, help us to focus on what matters the most. In Jesus' name, amen.